Hello, everybody. Um, this week's podcast is brought to you by a slightly hungover and very tired Luke. Um, had a couple of beers last night, someone's birthday. So, yeah, apologies if I'm a little bit subdued on this podcast, but, you know, at least it's given me a nice, deep, dulcet tone to address you all with today. Um, Nightcrawler. Featuring Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, the late great Bill Paxton, Riz Ahmed, and many other people. Um, directed by Dan Gilroy. I haven't seen this film since it came out in like 2014, I think. I remember really enjoying it at the time. Um, but I figure, why not? Let's let's dive in and see what's what and do some analysis. So that's what we're going to do. Again, spoilers galore will be happening. So if you haven't seen it and you care about spoilers, go watch it. If you don't care about spoilers or you've already seen it, carry on listening. You know the rules by now. So I would call the sort of title credit sequence to this film a bit of um, sort of like a traditional one. Um, So we know the film is obviously called Nightcrawler. So there's a load of establishing shots of um, the city of Los Angeles where this film is set Um, and it's all at night time so you know it's like uh, sort of cityscapes you know lights from the buildings um, the Hollywood Hills you know uh, all at night time which sort of gets us straight into A where we are B what the the sort of you know time of day setting is because you know it's it's pretty important to the film and everything I'm just set to like a nice sort of guitar-y uh, bit of music. And just uh, just the title sort of sequence names, you know, the credit names of who was involved in the film, who's acted it, who's producing it, all the, all the who's acting in it. God, get my words right. <laughs> um, so yeah, nice and simple, really. And then eventually we open up on a couple of wides of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Um and where it's all sort of shadowed and and you know dark, and we can hear the clipping sound of him using some wire cutters to break through a fence before some police pull up to him. It straight away because of the the way it's framed from a distance, you know, as in he's sort of quite far out of frame, but well, not far out of frame. Uh, he's in frame, but he's far away. <laughs> um, then that is a simple way of knowing that you know combined with the darkness and things is a simple way of knowing that he's doing something he probably shouldn't be doing he's trying to be a bit secretive hence why he's sort of you know quite uh, small in frame if that makes sense sorry so it wasn't police that come up to him it's just a security guard um and then straight away we, it's established what type of character he is in the sense that he's a bit of a low life criminal right so he's obviously like breaking and entering by clipping the uh, the wires on this chain link fence and then he, uh, the the security guard is, you know, continuously asking him for his ID. Um, and Jake Gyllenhaal's being a bit defensive, but in a sort of charming way, you know. And, and he's, he's not quite being like, no, I'm not going to give you my ID. But he's just sort of trying to charm him and question him like, oh, why? I'm just here by accident. I got turned around. Um, quick note on his, his acting for this character. He has like a really sort of unassuming almost shy sort of demeanor but then um 
then he en- basically ends up sort of like assaulting this uh, this security guard to you know not be detained or anything, um, and he steals his watch. Uh, and then we see a couple of shots of uh, all these other bits of metal and things that he's obviously like stolen um, for whatever reason. It's unknown to the audience yet. Uh, in the back of his car, so straight away we're given things to indicate that Jake Gyllenhaal's character in this film is a bit of a piece of crap. You know, he's assaulted the security guard, he was trespassing and breaking and entering, he's stealing, you know, watches and and other sort of metal goods, so straight away we know that this guy isn't really someone we should be rooting for, despite the fact that he's the antagonist of the movie. So, so again, just simple stuff from the director there, establishing where we are, and who we're dealing with, just from a few simple sort of shots and bits of mise-en-scene and, and actions of the character. And again, just to comment on um, Gyllenhaal's performance, um, like early on when he's talking to this bloke that he's trying to sell all the uh, you know bits of stolen metal and copper and things to, he's, like I said, he has that sort of really unassuming, almost shy demeanor, and it's really awkward. Like it's it's almost like he doesn't sort of quite sort of fit in um, to society or society norms, you know, be it through some sort of sociopathic tendency um, where he sort of just, you know, doesn't pick up on sort of social norms or social cues. Or It's like he's he's watched other humans act and think, oh, if I act like that, then this person will like me or uh, I'll be able to convince them that I'm, you know, a hard worker or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I, I don't mean this like uh, offensively or anything, but it's almost like a little bit sort of autistic. So maybe that's a decision he was making for this character, or maybe that's, you know, in the character description of the script or something. Um, like it might be uh, somewhat on the spectrum or is sociopathic. Like I'm not sure what it is. You know, I'm only a couple of minutes into the film yet, but he des- definitely has this demeanor where he's not sort of like your. You know, your, your typical person that's embedded in society and sort of that's that's really apparent really early on from his performance. You know, any sort of then uh, bit of social interaction he does, like when he basically asks this bloke for a job and the guy turns him down. So then his response is to sort of try and laugh it off. But it's in a really sort of overly forced way, like he's trying to convince the guy that he's OK with that response when obviously in reality he's not. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's just a great performance. Um, I like Jake Gyllenhaal. I like I like him a lot. I don't know why. I don't think he's ever won an Oscar. I don't know if he's ever been nominated for an Oscar. I know that there was a lot of outcry about him being snubbed for this film in particular and a few others. Um, and I know that for some reason Taylor Swift fans seem to hate Gyll- Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't really know or care why. I like him. I think he's really good. Yeah, I think I'm right about the sociopathic tendency of him so far because then when he sees um, the police uh, helping with, uh, I think it's some sort of like crash or you know traffic collision, there's a car on fire, they're trying to pull someone out of a car and things like that. He walks over to it and he's just—he's not concerned for the person who's injured or the you know the people in jeopardy. He's just observing and he—it's like he's trying to figure out some sort of scheme uh, to go in hand with that. And then these ambulance chasers come up and enter the great Bill Paxton and his uh, camera crew who were there to sort of record the the chaos and the carnage. And all the while he's watching them record this 
traffic accident, um, he's just literally like, he's coming up, you can see the cogs turning behind his eyes, he's coming up with a scheme, and then he almost sort of starts to like smile about it. So he's got zero regard or concern or, you know, care or empathy for the people involved in this crash. He's just thinking, how can I use this to my advantage? What what can I get from here? And then when he then speaks to the um, to Bill Paxton, uh, after he's, you know, recorded some of the accident, he's not like, oh my God, is that person okay? Did they survive? He's just asking like, will this be on the news? Uh, how much does this pay? Are you hiring? You know, thing, the just selfish sort of uh, career-driven questions as opposed to any semblance of empathy. I thought they were going to do something um, interesting with the lighting for a second then, um, because the between that, that first night ending and then the next morning starting, we get a few more establishing shots really similar to the opening ones of, you know, sort of the city of Los Angeles from various angles and, and points of focus. Uh, and it's all sort of, you know, the morning, you know, the sun coming up and not quite bright daylight, but, you know, that sort of early morning uh, brightness. And then it goes to Jake Gyllenhaal being in his his room or his apartment or whatever, uh, watching the morning news and images from that car crash that he witnessed are on the news. Uh but while he's watching the TV, despite the fact that there's light coming through his window, and we've already seen that it's light outside, he's still um, sort of very dimly lit. He's still pretty much in shadow. He's well, he's very much in shadow. He's very he's still in the dark. So I thought they were going to sort of maybe only ever put him in darkness throughout the film or something, just to sort of like represent. I get. Well, I suppose the darkness of his character and his lack of empathy, and the fact that he is the nightcrawler that um, that this film's about. Uh, but then, in the very next scene, he's at a beach <laughs> in the daylight. So maybe not. But maybe they'll do it throughout. But just the fact that even though it was daylight outside, the first time we have daylight with him, he's still in the darkness. Is a pretty um, interesting directorial and sort of lighting cinematography choice. We get a nice little sort of uh, montage that shows how tough uh, the line of work that he's decided to to entertain is. You know, he sort of goes to three or four different, um, you know, uh, police incidents, you know, with either criminals or accidents and ambulances. Uh, and on every single one, the police give him shit and tell him to move back, get out of the way, threaten to arrest him for obstruction of justice, that kind of thing. Um, but it's narratively, it's important to have this because it sort of shows us a like how tricky his line of work is. But then it shows his progression as well because he sort of eavesdrops on another ambulance chaser. Um, which, if you don't know that expression, it's what he's doing in this film. You know, he's chasing ambulances and police cars to try and get footage to sell to the news. So, uh, so there's another more experienced ambulance chaser there. We know he's more experienced because he has like an ID badge. He's got a big bigger camera you know it just looks more like he knows what he's doing um but he drops on a conversation that that guy has where he's trying to sort of sell the the footage and that kind of thing so we we starting to sort of see his progression yeah his character is definitely a psycho <laughs> definitely a sociopath uh, so then we go to the scene where he's like telling um uh, where he's trying to sell, sorry, um, some carjacking footage of someone who's been shot and there's blood and, and everything like that. It's a bit gnarly. Um, 
And he, then sort of after they, they buy the footage from him, they're then talking about what other footage he can bring to the table and, and continue to sort of sell to them and things. And he, he keeps asking like, oh, so bloody is good, you know, and, and things like that. Um, and she, you know, lists a few other examples. Of, I believe it's Rene Russo's character. She lists a few other examples of what they, they could use. And he keeps going back to bloodiness and, and gore and violence. And all the while he's completely un emotive to that he's just sort of deadpan delivery like ah oh, gore is good yes you know he's any sort of normal sane empathetic person would be a little bit uh reserved by that or maybe a little bit put off by it but he's just completely like you know one plus one equals two gore plus camera equals money you know he's just very cut and dry about it so he's definitely a psychopath so the film's use of sound is really on point as well you know for example when um He's talking to Riz. Oh, by the way, yeah, Riz Ahmed's been introduced to the film uh, already. If you don't know Riz Ahmed, he's awesome British actor, uh, really, really good guy. He was in Sound of Metal, which I'm pretty sure he got an Oscar nomination from. I think that's most likely what most people would know him from. But the first thing I ever noticed him in was Dead Set, that Big Brother style uh, zombie series that I think was on E4 or something. That's a wicked series. If you haven't seen that, by the way. Uh, so anyway, Riz Ahmed's. Uh, Basically, he Jake Gyllenhaal sort of manipulates him to work for him for like you know next to no wages. Like really exploits him and manipulates him, which again sort of highlights uh, how uh, sociopathic Jake Gyllenhaal's character is. Uh, so anyway, so when they're when they're talking and he's sort of showing them the ropes and everything, the music's quite calm and quiet. And then when they're speeding through. Los Angeles to get to, you know, a, a police incident or an ambulance incident or a fire or whatever it might be. Um, the music's obviously amped up and a bit more, you know, intense. Um, they seem to be leaning into the sort of like distorted guitars and, and that kind of thing for this film. You know, like I said, the opening uh, credit sequence was guitars and, and things. And then later on, there's another uh, montage where they're going to job after job after job um, when they've sort of they've sort of figured out a little bit more about uh, how they're going to operate and and they're getting a bit better at it as well. And again, the music is a bit like you know sort of distorted guitars and a bit rock and roll sort of thing. Um, so great use of music because it it's upping the tension and the um, the pace you know, as and when it needs to, and then it's quieting down and uh, when, you know, when it's a bit more of a sort of a, a quiet, more intimate moment. So go to the scene where he's literally the first person uh, to arrive at a car crash. Um, there's no police there or anything yet. The The only other person there is currently on the phone to 911 to try and, you know, get some police and ambulances there. Um so what he starts to do is manipulate the scene. He starts pulling one of the bodies so that it's in front of the headlights. A really great use of lighting as well from the the, the street lamps, sort of creating an orange hue and the bright lights of the headlamps and of the cars and things. The headlights, sorry, of the cars. Um, but he yeah, he drags this body into the the headlights uh, and and then you know sort of takes his time with a few more shots and all the while his face is getting more and he goes from sort of like not panicked with concern for the crash but panicked with sort of concern for making sure he's getting good footage and then as he realizes he's getting great footage his face becomes a lot more like excited um oops 
yeah, so he gets more excited with what he's doing, and then the music sort of, it's not somber or depressing or anything in reflection of, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that someone's just been in an accident. The music is more sort of suggesting that he's figuring things out and he's progressing. Uh, it's quite hard to explain how the music sounds, but it's 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 not like happy and upbeat, but it's progressive, if that makes sense. You know, it's, I think it's similar music to the opening credits music, but it is very much like, I don't know, it, it, combined with what we're seeing on the screen, it, it it's not reflective of, you know, any sort of trauma or anything bad happening. It's more like someone is figuring things out and achieving things, which is really, it's a really weird juxtaposition, but it's totally works and it's really effective for the for the scene because obviously we're looking at it from Jake Gyllenhaal's perspective and his perspective is uh, how can I get some good footage essentially that's that would be what we call his action um, so from an acting perspective if you don't know what that is uh, it's really important to have an, an action which means in any scene that you're in you have to have a goal you have to be able to achieve something so in this example his action would be uh, I have to get good footage um, you know, maybe another sort of more clear-cut example of uh, an action would be if you if there's an interrogation scene, you know, between police officer and suspect, the police officer's action could be uh, make the suspect confess, um, or the suspect's um, action could be, uh, you know, to make the police uh, believe something you know believe their excuse or believe whatever it is or or to their action could be to mislead the police you see the point i'm making <laughs> you can't answer me but the point i'm making is that it's integral in every scene no matter what you're doing to have an action i really like the angle that the um dp uses uh director of photography for those not on the lingo uh, when Jake Gyllenhaal's talking to Rene Russo in studio after he's just sold them that footage from the the scene that he sort of manipulated um, by moving the body around, um, so where they're watching the studio set up, you know, they're watching the news anchors get ready to to you know do their live broadcast, uh, but they're also having like a, a not a private chat in the sense that the things that they're saying are you know completely not for anybody else's ears, but it's a private chat between the two of them in the sense that it's just between two of them. So it's a, like a nice, intimate chat. But where their attention is, you know, on each other because they're chatting, but also on the, the studio in front of them, all the camera shots are either from... It's like a double shot of both the backs of their heads as they look forward into the studio, or it's a, a dirty single where if you've heard other pods, you've heard me explain that, where it will be still from behind, but having Rene Russo sort of back in the left of frame and then Jake Gyllenhaal's side of face in the right of frame and then the reverse on her, you know, his shoulder on the right and her face on the left, but always from behind them. So the fact that it's done from behind them sort of gives the audience the impression that we're not really supposed to be privy to this conversation. We're, you know, we're sort of eavesdropping on it. Um, and then as well, like I said, it sort of makes sense for it to be done from behind. So we always are aware that they're watching the production in front of them. It's really good, really good framing, really good uh, sort of setup and geography of the scene. The scene where uh, Rene Russo and Jake Gyllenhaal go for dinner or drinks or whatever. Um, 
he gets more and more like intense and creepy. Uh, like I was saying before, with his sort of lack of social cues, um, because he is a sociopath. He's completely out of his mind. Um, he he doesn't he doesn't catch any of her sort of discomfort or her you know like I say her social cues. I can't really think of else how to describe it. Um, he's just sort of has this really it's a such a great performance from him he has this really weird aura that's like intense and he keeps sort of like laughing maniacally with these not maniacally like the joker but just laughing weirdly with these like wide eyes that sort of it's it's like he thinks that if he laughs when he says certain things that are a bit a uh, bit forward or a bit um maybe sort of too bold or to the point if he laughs afterwards then that will like ease the blow and you know make him appear sort of socially adequate but of course it does the opposite what it does is make him appear really creepy and intense um it's a great performance and for most of it the camera is doing sort of medium close-ups you know like a torso shoulders head of, of each of them back and forth and then when he sort of goes on a bit of a monologue um, saying that he's sort of single-handedly responsible for their ratings increase. Then we finally get a wide of, of both of them in the same shot together so that she can react to it. He can hold his weird, intense gaze. Um, and then as she sort of responds to his monologue, we then get to see his reaction. So having it just singles first, and then finally that wide to sort of uh, deal with the aftermath of his weird monologue outburst is a really cool effective way. And then the camera moves to close-ups, which then implies that, you know, maybe he's a little bit irked by uh, her reaction. He's not getting his way in this conversation. It's not going how he wants it to go. So when it goes, it's, it's like singles, wide for the reaction, and then close for his response to her reaction if that makes sense it's just real simple but real effective cinematography coupled by a great performance from jake and a great performance from renee as well i'm using first names for them now because you know i'm, I'm friends with both of them which is a lie this might be one of my favorite psychotic performances because he's not doing anything madly like if you compare it to like the joker um and i'm not about to insult you know jack nicholson or heath ledger or anything like that, but it is a very sort of um, obvious or apparent psychosis, right? You know, it's it's over the t it's comic book. It's meant to be a little bit over the top. Um, but then with Jake Gyllenhaal doing this, he's just so calmly unhinged, you know. So that that conversation with them at dinner ends up with him basically blackmailing and manipulating her into agreeing to become more than friends with him even though she doesn't want to so yeah it's quite rapey which um just reinforces the fact that he has no empathy for other people and and all the while he's delivering it with this sort of creepy grin and these wide unblinking eyes uh, and these big toothy smiles it's just very unsettling it's very unsettling um but what a what a great performance of a complete an utter lunatic without, you know, selling that he's a lunatic, you know, without being like, oh, look at me, look how crazy I am. It's great. Evan just commented on how, like, docile his sort of psychosis is. Uh, there's, 
shortly after that, there was that scene where he's in the mirror. He's looking at himself in the mirror. It's just a real simple shot over the shoulder of him looking at himself in the mirror, and he like screams at himself and freaks out and tries to rip the mirror off the wall and then smashes the glass. Apparently, it, on the actual take, he cut his hand open quite badly and had to go to hospital for that. Um, so that shows his commitment as a performer. Um, what else was I going to say? I can't remember. Oh, well. Oh, yeah, that was it. Um, so, again, just to re-emphasize how unempathetic he is, because um, Bill Paxton had already, like, the reason he was screaming at himself in the mirror is because Bill Paxton had, like, really one-upped him and, and got into a really good case before he had the chance to, which got him into shit with his studio. Uh, so then, after he screams at himself in the mirror, he tampers with Bill Paxton's van's brakes. It's a really recognisable van. The audience should be able to follow that is is his that it's his van. Um, yeah. So then the next thing they're going to is that van having crashed. So yeah, there's so many points throughout this film where it's really apparent sort of to the audience that we should not be on Jake Gyllenhaal's side at all like I don't know why he's the antagonist of this movie he is not a good person there's a pretty grim shot of uh, poor old Bill Paxton having just crashed his van being stretched away in the you know the, the stretcher whatever you call them I think they're called stretchers and then Jake Gyllenhaal's getting footage of it because you know he's an ambulance chaser and he set this whole thing up so we see the shot looking down of Bill Paxton in the chair, and then the reverse looks up at the camera, just sort of like, you know, really, um, like, inhumanely looking down on him, uh, which sort of shows how, you know, lacking in empathy their line of work is. And then it pans down, and the music's like, dun-dun, all dramatic and stuff, and it pans down to Jake Gyllenhaal looking, you know, equally sort of unempathetic and inhumane, at his, it's essentially his victim, yeah. Um, and then the the music continues to sort of uh, up the the tension and the the seriousness of the situation as they then start speeding away in their shiny Mustang car. Then when he goes to the um, one of the like police calls before any police can get there, and he witnesses, you know, the I think it's a home invasion, and he witnesses the invaders leaving. Uh, and then he just makes his way into the house and, and starts recording dead bodies and blood on the carpets and anything he can, really. But a lot of the shots of him doing that are relative close-ups on him so that we as an audience don't get to see a lot of the things that he's seeing. We don't really get any clear shots of what's in the house, you know, be it just general sort of shots or the victims or some of the blood and, and things like that. A lot of it will just be sort of focused on him and then peripherally we get to see things which adds to the sort of um, secrecy of what he's doing. You know, the fact that he shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be seeing these things. Um, but then as well, it sort of stops the film um, getting too graphic or too violent or anything as well. So they might have done it as a sort of uh, like a self-censoring thing. But it's probably more just from that, like, um, that sort of filmmaking perspective of, you know, he's not supposed to be there, so we have to try and make the shots look a bit secret and not fully reveal the shots to the audience. So with characters and their relationships, uh, power dynamic is always quite an important thing to both establish and then explore. Uh, and this film does it really well. So um, what I mean by that is 
initially when Jake Gyllenhaal's you know just getting started as an ambulance chaser and he's trying to sell his material to the news outlets, uh, Rene Russo is in the position of power. She decides how much to pay him, whether or not she'll accept his footage, X, Y, Z. And then as things progress, and we, like we had that scene earlier with them having dinner together where he blackmails her into being more than friends with him, that progresses even further where he then starts demanding a lot more. You know, like when he says a set amount of money, that's what he wants. He wants to be introduced to more of the team. Um, he wants to be credited more for his stories. Uh, and then he also says as well that he he demands that those... Um, let's call them sexual favors when it really it's you know rape uh that he is doing with her uh on the side that they be more inclined with with it exactly what he wants as opposed to any sort of like half-ass sort of um attempt is you know basically what he says so the power dynamic completely shifts so she goes from being this sort of i don't know if she's like a producer or a studio executive or whatever but she's sort of in charge of what news gets put out um, she goes from having the final say on absolutely everything to just being completely manipulated and pushed into a corner by Jake Gyllenhaal, both professionally and then, you know, in a sort of sexual relationship-wise as well. So the power dynamic completely shifts, which kind of makes him even scarier, you know, as this deranged ambulance-chasing lunatic. Um, so I start to really feel sorry for her, you know, because I suppose initially early on in the film... She's a bit cold and callous and, you know, she just wants good footage by the book sort of thing. But at least through these uh, through this power shift, it's apparent that she's a lot more empathetic uh, to, you know, some of the accidents and things that they show in the news. Um, and you do feel, start to feel sorry for her because she's just completely, you know, uh, pinned down, I suppose, physically, but I was talking metaphorically, pinned down by Jake Gyllenhaal. It's... Uh, pretty big shift uh, and then again just Jake Gyllenhaal knocking it out of the park with his psycho performance so as they broadcast this like horrible uh, home invasion on on the news um, they keep he's one of the demands I was talking about earlier that he made to Rene Russo's character is one of the demands is that um, they state his his company name video production news in their broadcast uh, and they you know give him praise and credit for it um, as as they do the the broadcast um so all the while they're sort of showing this this footage um you know on the news broadcast and the the presenters are talking about it it's really graphic and no one should be smiling while they're watching these things but because they're heaping praise on him and his video production company for giving them that footage and, and things big toothy grin appears on his face uh, as the camera sort of just does it starts as a it's already a close-up of just his face but it starts to slowly zoom in even closer um all the while he's just sort of smiling as we hear um the 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 audio over the top of it of the news presenters sort of praising his service and his footage it's just no empathy again uh, i know i've said it a bunch but he really does knock this performance out of the park with his like pure <laughs> sociopath sort of tendencies i really like the way they film um the sort of early parts of the scene where uh jake gyllenhaal and reza ahmed have sort of set up well it's more jake gyllenhaal but he sort of set up uh a kind of trap for the two home invaders and and the police because obviously he's been able to identify them through the footage he has pardon me uh and then 
followed them to a location, called the police. The police would go there and, you know, try and arrest them. So while they're sort of perched out in two different places on the street with their uh, cameras, we don't see, you know, like, uh, the the only sort of images we see, at, at least early on, um, of the criminals and the police in the restaurant are through the lenses of the camcorders that they're using, you know, to film the, the news segments. So, you know, the, the shots will just be like on, literally on the cameras and then th on that little recording screen is what we see from inside the restaurant as opposed to using, you know, the the, the actual cameras that, you know, like that the filmmakers of Nightcrawler would be using. So it's quite hard to distinguish between the two. So you've got Jake Gyllenhaal's camera filming it and we see what he's filming inside the restaurant as opposed to the actual cameras for the actual film nightcrawler being used inside the restaurant do you see what i mean so the whole thing is done from their perspective from inside their car and and using their cameras it's just a cool way to film that scene because it embeds it again that it's more from their perspective and then through the subsequent uh police chase when one of the criminals gets away from the restaurant and um riz and jake are sort of in hot pursuit as well there's no music uh, you know, you just hear the audio of the engines revving and tires screeching and then, um, you know, sort of chatter on the, the police radio and the police scanner. That's all they have. So the lack of music, but replacing it with, you know, the, the police scanner and, and police radio noises makes it makes us feel like we're right in there with them, you know, because sometimes diegetic music, uh, sorry, non-diegetic music can, it, it, it's, makes it quite obvious that you're watching you know a film you know it's like a music video or an advert or something so to take the music away from it and replace it with exactly what the characters would be hearing you know on the police radios and things that puts us in there a little bit more grounds the audience right there in the chase with the with the actors there's a shot near the end that mirrors um the shot between Rene russo and jake gyllenhaal earlier you know i was saying it was from behind uh, as they're looking at the studio so this time it's from behind again but they're looking at the the footage from you know the last sort of high speed chase and things that uh, that they shot and finally this time actually they turn to face each other so the moment is a lot more intimate and um the way they're delivering their lines to each other is a lot softer than it was before so the softness of the line delivery which is probably a directorial thing you know the director would have asked them to do it that way most likely uh, and the fact that they actually turn and face each other um really reinforces that they've crossed a, a line not in a not in a sort of bad way but they've they are closer now they are a bit more intimate i think and based on what uh, renee russo says to one of the other studio execs that she sort of believes in jake gyllenhaal's work um she is coming around to her his way of thinking i don't know if that's like some sort of stockholm syndrome um but yeah it sort of breaches that intimacy um and then a little bit later um the police interrogate Jake about the suspiciousness of the situation that he has found himself in. So um, he has a really great final line in that interrogation uh, where he says, um, he says something like, I like to think that if you see me, then you're having the worst day of your life. And then he just stares blankly up at the CCTV camera. It's really, really great, really eerie, awesome, like dialogue delivery. And, and filming of that moment because we're seeing it from the CCTV angle, you know, and that sort of fuzzy, grainy footage, which, you know, 
when you see sort of fuzzy grainy footage like that of someone in the police station i can't help but think of things like you know images of charles manson and you know all that sort of old grainy footage so in a way it sort of harkens back to to that kind of thing yeah so that kind of wraps that one up um pretty short podcast today i don't know if that's because i'm too tired to think of things to comment on when i watch that film um but you know i've done plenty of ones that are hours long so have a nice 35 minute one um but you know I, I love that film nightcrawler i really enjoy that film even though it's been a while since i'd seen it um and jake gyllenhaal's a fantastic actor um i really don't understand why the academy doesn't give him as much love uh, but i suppose the the academy's a little bit more problematic than just honoring jake gyllenhaal um anyway uh if you haven't seen the film i would recommend it, it is really cool um and if you have watch it again but thanks for listening to the podcast. Bye.